there is change and that change comes from that that constant push in community saying that's not okay we can do better than this my name is will small i use poetry to capture snapshots of what it means to be human no better inspiration for this than real-life humans in their natural habitat. So I've been having conversations with all kinds of beautiful, passionate, interesting humans who all call the Central Coast home. From uni students to business owners, artists to activists, young and old. In each of these conversations, a poem is hiding. I'm going to find it and write it. And I'm inviting you to come along for the ride and hear the conversations that spark my creative process. Stick around till the end and you'll get to hear the poem. This podcast has been proudly supported by the Central Coast Council. Join me as I dive into the untold stories of coastal citizens and seek to capture them in an original piece of spoken word poetry. Danielle Habib. I don't really know where we first met, but we've bumped into each other in a number of places over the last few years, and it's always an absolute pleasure. You just are a radiant, uh, beautiful human doing important work and uh, doing work that could be pretty depressing, but with a sense of hope, I think. Is that fair? Yes, I guess a lot of people say, you know, the working in um, high crisis, domestic and family violence, um, and also my um, refugee advocacy work can be quite mm. quite full on, and it is, um, but it's very rewarding work, very rewarding. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit more, and basically I'm in poet mode, and I'm here just trying to get to know people uh, and dig out some of the, the passion and the fire and the stories within them, and then I'm going to write a poem about you and try and kind of capture a snapshot of you. It won't be a full picture of you because no poem could ever do that, but just a little snapshot. But I would love to start by just finding out how did you end up here on the Central Coast? Were you born here? Did you move here? How long have you been here? No, well, I've been here for 42 years. Um, I moved up here when I was two. So it was my parents, like a lot of stories where parents are coming up from Sydney. Mm -hmm. They love the Central Coast. Um, they love coming up on the weekends. Um, it was the uh, late, getting towards the late 70s at the time. And they bought a little block of land right at Nora Head um, mm -hmm. at the Rock Pool. So um, I moved up here when I was two. My sister was five. And, um, yeah, that's how we came to be on the Central Coast. Yeah, so, beautiful. So how did you find mm, growing up here and how do you feel about this place that you've basically been all your life? I just love it, Will. Like I've I've been off and I've done a lot of travelling. I've been privileged enough to be able to do that mm -hmm. um, and around to many different countries, but I've kept coming back here because I've the Central Coast is, for me, my family is here, so I have five sisters. Four of my sisters are on the Central Coast, one's in Sydney. It's a large family. It is a large family. <laughs> there was always lots of noise. Um, and I remember growing up at Nora Head, the first thing we'd do on the weekends is we'd all grab our swimmers and we'd run off down to the rock pool and yeah. we'd spend all day there and we'd run up to the shop, um, which is now the Ark, and a lovely cafe, um, but it was then a fish and chip shop. So we'd go and grab a whole heap of chips and we'd just eat chips, hot chips on the mm. beach. And it was just about sun and water and just enjoying that time with family. Cousins would always come and, and visit us and would always just go down to the beach. So. Yeah, that is such a beautiful mm. beach. That's it one of my favourites. Like I, I love the coast and mm. 
love the diversity of yes. places on the coast, but yeah. that beach is stunning. Yeah. yeah, it is. Do you feel like it's changed a lot over your life, the Central Coast, or, or you know, how do you look at it now compared to how you know you imagine it when you think back to it childhood is, it days? It is really different. Um, I, back in the childhood days, I saw it as this very much this beachy, quiet town. Um, after moving from Norahead, we moved to Canwell um, onto a farm and um, my father and mother had a removalist business so they needed property and a big storage shed and onto this farm it was great. We had plenty of time, plenty of space to be able to run around um, but that place was called Canwell. It's now renamed as Hamlin Terrace. Um, mm-hmm. there's, all, there's all houses which is being built up on all of the properties now um, there's been some really good positive change that I've seen happening, but it has grown. You, you've got the the freeway um, that wasn't even there before. That's now now it's widening to to four lanes. Um, you're seeing a lot more schools coming up, but it's still, I think, because of its geographical location. Like there's that big lot of bush between Newcastle mm. and also Sydney. Mm-hmm. We're still our own place. We've now we're now the Central Coast region as opposed to having the the Wyle and Gosford area, um, so there has been some really big changes um, when you look at it. even at the Rock Pool. That's a little bit different, but the beaches still very much stay the same. Mm. Yeah. As someone who's uh, who has lived here most of your life, I reckon you've got like this deep local knowledge that yeah. someone like me, I'm always looking to find out where are the best spots or where are the secret mm-hmm. places to go. So if someone was coming up for a weekend. And they hit you up and they said, Danielle, you've lived here for, you know, over four decades. Where is the best place to go and eat or where's the best place to go for a walk or the best kind of view? Like where would you go if you had a spare day? Okay, so when you're talking about best places to eat, I um, I have three young children and I'm a solo mum. So I don't go out to eat. It's just crazy. Um but I have heard that there's an amazing Vietnamese restaurant that's just opened at Tukli that I'm going to see with my sisters next Saturday oh, night. Very, very nice. fresh, um, lovely um, Vietnamese food. So I, uh, there's also um, Cafe Meze, which is in wild Lebanese style. So I like, like to try something different. Mm-hmm. There's also a new African place in Wyong. I like the, the local places and just to see what people are saying. So there's – there's always a change of different businesses um, in the yeah. area. So eating there. Um, if it's family, I always say the entrance. I have this love for the entrance because you can go, you've got the kids' water park, but you've got this beautiful waterway that comes in. So you, you can sit in um, the water, you can take your stand-up paddleboard if you've got one. Um, it's a really lovely spot where you can have a nice bit of lunch in the park. Usually, um, the council are great about encouraging different activities uh, at the Memorial mm. Park area. So usually there's something going on, whether it be the farmers' markets or um, last weekend we actually had the refugee welcome picnic. So we had lots of activities, um, very family focused. Yeah. If if you were older though, um, and you didn't have children, I'd be saying Terrigal is the place to go. Yes. Always has been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is lovely. Spoiled for choice, really though. Lots of great oh. places. There is. And even if you feel like just taking a relaxing Sunday drive, like going out through Yarramalong mm. and Duralong, through the valleys through there, we've got that um, wonderful amazement park where people go. Um, yeah. The Reptile Park is always someone, if there's, there's friends or relatives coming up, we'll take them off to the mm. Reptile Park. So, yeah, there's lots of different things. Yeah. When um, 
our first little boy, Noah, was quite little. He didn't sleep ever. (laughs) But uh, driving, driving was one way to get him to sleep. So I would sort of go for many, many uh, early morning, late night, afternoon drive, which, you know, there was a part of that which was frustrating. But there was another part of it that was like just amazing driving through these places that I had never been and having the time to just turn any direction, not actually going to reach a destination, but just taking in the scenery and did a lot of driving around um, like Matcham mm. and uh, sort of that area, which is just beautiful. It's beautiful. And also up yeah. around Pearl Beach as well too. I oh, love it. Love it there. Because when you're looking at and, – and also Summerland Point and Gwandolin and, and Chain Valley Bay, because when you're looking mm. at one end of the coast to the other, we're talking about an hour and a half approximately yeah. to get from one end. And you've got these big lakes that separate everything as well too. So there is a lot of hidden spots to be able yeah. to go and investigate. I still haven't found all of them. Um, King Cumber is beautiful up there as well. My heart lies with Wong though. I love mm. this Wong area. Um, yeah. And I live it. I live it. Chit away. I, I, yeah, I just I feel an affiliation to this area. It's yeah. great. Yeah. So, like any place, the the coast is. Uh, it's a beautiful place geographically, but really, I think what makes it beautiful is the people. Yeah. And I'm on this mission here, just you know, as an artist, trying to um, uncover more of the stories of uh, of just the interesting, diverse people that live here. Mm. Um, sometimes we live next to each other without really knowing each other. Do you know? Mm. Um, but you're somebody who is a part of this place and you're a part of what makes this place what it is. So um, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but do you want to just give a snapshot of how you spend your time and some of these significant kind of roles and passions that you find yourself um, okay. yeah, in? I um, So my work is in domestic and family violence and um, I work um, in the high crisis area for Catholic care. Uh, I've got a wonderful team of workers here and really looking at um, the situation that we have on the coast, we're we're now number two in the state for domestic and family violence police call-outs and it's it's unforgiving. It's just, I was saying to you before we actually started talking, the amount of work that's coming in, the repeat non-fatal strangulations, the amount of sexual abuse of children um, is huge. It's Mm. absolutely huge. And... And a lot of pe- there's a lot of people that can't work in, in this field um, and I really commend the people that can because it is really tough work uh, mm. and you really have to, to learn how do you protect yourself to keep doing this um, kind of work. I also co-facilitate a men's group um, called Caring Dads, so for men who have been violent against their children or their partners and they want to be able to change their behaviours. Mm. So it's looking at um, prevention. Um, also very much working with schools, working with youth, working with religious organisations, working with communities on prevention. So, and active bystanders. So when you see violence, when you hear violence, what can you do? What can you say? What are the tools that you can actually Mm. use? Which is so important Mm -hmm. um, because it's interesting. We say that we've come a long way and we have in so many ways, but I still talk to people that say, oh, you know, there's a house next door where I hear screaming and the kids off, you know, running into the car and hiding and sleeping there for the night and, no one picks up the phone and, and calls the police. Sorry, not nobody. Mm. There's still a lot of people that don't feel comfortable to do that. Mm-hmm. So while doing the response work is of the utmost importance and doing the prevention work so um, with, the, with men so they're not um, reducing the recidivism of violence, we need to be really targeting at, at schools and um, our whole community to say what can we be doing as a community to stand up against this. 
So mm. I'm very strong with education. I also teach one day a week as well too at TAFE. So I teach. I didn't. I think I, think I told you that. Yeah, right. Um, domestic and working with domestic and family violence, child yep. protection, cultural diversity. But my my other love that I love to do is um, working with refugee and migrant communities. Um, we don't have a lot of refugee and migrant communities on the central coast. We've actually helped a few relocate to Sydney or to Melbourne mm-hmm. um, to be stronger with community. Um, and I'm currently doing the refugee ration challenge, so I'm eating. Um, the same rations as a Syrian refugee in a Jordanian refugee camp for one week. So what is that exactly? Pretty much rice and flour, um, a cup of lentils for the week, um, one tin of beans for the week and a tin of sardines. So wow. it's really, really plain. Um, and after, this is my third year in a row and I coaxed my friend Lee to come and do it with me again this year. And we ask people on social media to sponsor us. So the money goes towards medical education um, and food for refugee communities. And it also, we get this conversation starting. So just what we're doing now, or when I go up to yeah. the lunchroom with, with um, the staff, I'll take my bowl of rice and I go, is that all you're eating? And then we'll start talking about it. So, yeah, it has a, has a really powerful impact. So you obviously spend your life... Um, Working with people that are in, yeah, in crisis or in really difficult situations or, or relocating, seeking refuge from, mm. you know, overseas. Um, what has drawn you to do that kind of work? What do you think was the, the seed or, you know, the path that led you to uh, be in these spaces? I've thought about that and, and it changes over time. The more you mature and the wiser you get, I think uh, it really does change. And I know... I was really privileged at the age of seven to have the opportunity. My father took my sister and I over to live in Egypt for a small amount of time. Um, And as a young child at that age, the impact that that had being in Egypt in a third world country and Mm. seeing people um, who were sick and dying on the street that couldn't get any medical attention um, was a whole – I loved the the way of life, um, but – it was a real eye-opener. As a, as a seven-year-old child, they had everything. Could, could go to school, could open cupboards, there was food, there was everything you could possibly want for, um, including education, medical. So that that was a really a really big thing for me. And, and also being introduced to the pyramids, the Sphinx, um, mm. like this ancient history. Um, and growing up in a, in a cross-cultural home as well too. Mm-hmm. So my father had slowly brought out family who there was we had a lot that because i'm from egyptian background my father Mm -hmm. my mother is scottish and irish Um, my father would um, slowly bring out family particularly that were in lebanon so when beirut was being bombed and these family would come out and they would live they'd come straight from lebanon and we'd all be in this one three-bedroom house so there'd Mm -hmm. be the five girls and mum and dad and then there'd be four cousins and their mum and dad living in the one house so culture and and, um, was intertwined and looking at people just being removed from one spot and without having, you know, the, the language, the supports being just mm. popped into another spot. So supporting family members as well. Um, but I was also raised in domestic and family violence. And when you are a child um, growing up in family violence, I know this from when doing, looking at study and research, you there's different people react in different ways um, mm-hmm. and some can react in having a very strong social justice influence about things not being fair as a child and not being able to have the opportunity to be able to change them 
not knowing at the time that you're racing domestic violence because you just think that's normal. Mm. Um, but being older, being able to look back and reflect and say, well, hey, I can make a difference here. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing uh, just to think about how um, what you were exposed to, some of it which was obviously not, not good or not right, um, mm. has led you to be a part of painting a different picture. Mm. And, and helping to kind of rewrite some of those stories mm. for other people, which is powerful work. Hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to jump back in in a sec and get to the poem coming at the end. But I want to share with you for a moment about the process behind the end product. At its essence, I think creativity is about trying to do things in ways that haven't been done before. Making a song that pushes beyond the edges of a genre or a film that disrupts what people have come to expect. Spoken word poetry and podcasting have both done that in recent years. And bringing the two of them together with authentic human interviews is my own creative experiment to try and mix art forms in a new way. Like any creative work, it takes some faith and risk as well as time, energy and resources. I have a small but growing community of people that see the value in this work and want to help empower me to create it. I want to ask you, is this something you would consider becoming a part of? You can read more about how it works at patreon.com slash willsmall. But the basic idea is to give a few dollars each month to help me create some predictable resources I can use to focus on bringing the work to life. I'll send you unpublished poems and reflections to your inbox every month and you'll be able to contribute your thoughts and ideas to the ongoing evolution of this work. Thank you so much for considering joining the Poetic Beings Patreon community. When you get out of bed in the morning, Danielle, there are probably all sorts of things that would make you <laughs> um, not want to face some of that or, or imagine there are times where you feel a bit discouraged, but what are the things that pull you out of bed and into your work? What's kind of the, uh, the vision or passion heart that you have for the people that you work with and, and what you love to see change? Oh, so many different things. And I think we go through these roller coasters of life where – when I think when I think about the refugee advocacy work that I've been doing since two thousand and one, um, and it's two thousand and nineteen, so it's been almost twenty years. And I look at back then there was children weren't allowed to go into um, to have any schooling. Um, there was no play areas for for children. They weren't they weren't allowed to go out. And when I look at now, what's and I've gone into detention centres and seeing what there is. There is change and that change comes from that that constant push in community saying that's not okay, we can mm. do better than this. And I hear Father Rod doing it all the time, uh, he's really brilliant at that. We, we can make a change but we've just got to keep that pressure on. It's too easy and I do, f I'll be honest, I'll do fall back into that, that roller coaster where I just think, oh, this is too much, nothing's changing. But, but it's being happy for those small wins mm. like when i saw all the children being taken out of detention just recently mm. detention centers i thought that's 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 a win for us even though it's taken many many years um with domestic violence particularly working with the men i'm seeing men that are actually coming in that are wanting to make a change the ones that choose to make a change they do um and i also see they're grieving for what has happened in the past and being part of that repairing, help, helping to support repairing the relationships with the children mm. is huge because they want to be better fathers. Um, the relationship may have broken down with a partner. Um, 
the opportunity of being able to work with women who um, whose whole lives have been changed from coming into contact um, and their whole life follows a new trajectory and they move on. And I see them walking down the street 10 years later and they're this whole new person. They have this vibrant face and their hair is, obviously their hair is different. Um, but it's, it's, really, it's really powerful that we can evoke change. It's mm. not something that happens in, in small increments or small amounts of time. It, it, does take, it does take long periods of time. And that's why I love my community because you build up these contacts and these connections and you can you can see these changes that happen. So it's yeah, it's definitely not immediate. Mm. You kind of answered the next question I was gonna ask you, which is, you know, what are some of the things you're you're proud of? And I guess that's kind of it's good to be reminded we need to reflect on those wins mm-hmm. and those moments of seeing that actually what we feel called to, what we're trying to push at, what we're trying to work towards, sometimes we can we can just get discouraged about not reaching the end goal. Mm. But along the way, we need to notice all those little wins. So uh, you might feel like you've already answered it, but do you have other um, particular stories that stand out that you kind of revisit when you kind oh, of need to remind yourself of when, what we've when, done? Um, I've been very privileged to be able to teach Aboriginal education mm. only because I've been accepted by Aboriginal people to say, yes, you've spent time with the community, you can mm. do this, and um, part within teaching at TAFE. And I will ask students to begin with when I'm first getting to meet them. So um, what's your name? Why do you want to get into community services? What was the first live band that you saw? And what did you do on the 26th of January? Mm. And they'll, you know, lots of information will come back and usually around the 26th of January question, it was, oh, yeah, I got really drunk or, yes, we had a barbecue. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's our date. We need to, you know, claim it back. And um, there's a lot of this talk and then we'll go through and we'll do the Aboriginal education and then at the end I'll, I'll ask those same questions again, mm. mainly the 26th of January, and I'll get this totally different response. It'll be, I can't believe I thought like that, but mm. I didn't know that. Why weren't we taught? Um, we actually have a really good strong focus on Adam Goods as well too and we look mm-hmm. at his his speech and it's really, really powerful. So being for me, being a conduit to be able to present information in a way that – uh, supports critical analysis where people can peel back those layers and and think deeper and dig deeper um, and and not sort of have those ideas that oh well it's the government's fault or I don't have this information and I didn't know it really takes a lot of that away to say well hang on if, mm. if you really want to be looking and seeing and finding out about things you will take that time to do that research and to have those conversations so mm. encouraging that robust robust discussion is one of my favorite things to do that's awesome i love that um what's something um something that you've personally been through I mean, you kind of alluded to this before but there might be other things that you've been through that have been really difficult mm. but have shaped who you are mm. and you look at now and you think actually it's because of that that I am able to to be the you know strong and confident um, person who wants to have a robust conversation and wants to advocate for people. What's something that's shaped you in a, a difficult but good way? Um, a, a couple of things I would say: um, the time, the three and a half years that I spent working inside Villawood Immigration Detention Centre, working mm. with refugees, with the refugee families, and really seeing that um, everything that's afforded to us as, as Australians was not afforded to them at all. Like when you're talking about sexual abuse of children and, and um, really horrific stuff that couldn't be reported or was or was closed down, um, I learnt in that time 
how to get this protective armour where mm. I could still be compassionate and nurturing um, but keep that strength. And that's not to say I still don't – there's still things that trigger me. I've got three young children. If there's things that are happening with other families that I'm working with at the same age as them – Yes, I, I still, of course, do affected. The day I stop becoming affected is the day where I need to say enough, get out of work. But that was a big catalyst, working three and a half years in um, in Villagwood Immigration Detention Centre. The time I've spent with Aboriginal people has been huge. Um, I'm thinking about um, a time in Alice Springs with Aboriginal women that were cooking kangaroo tail and cooking food. They actually cooked scones, which were really delicious in this, <laughs> um, in this um, fire pit. Um, but just hearing and listening to their stories Mm. It was really, it was really big, and I guess finally the time spent in South Sudan um, with women and children, and seeing how they live, um, and really hearing about their plight, how they are, um, they might be married to someone, um, someone might decide to take on different wives, how that affects them, um, if there's alcohol involved, a whole range of different things. So. Yeah, working in South Sudan was was oh, being in South Sudan was huge. Yeah, mm. an influence. Sounds to me, Danielle, like you um, would just be a, a library of wisdom <laughs> from the experiences that you've had, the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard, your own story. Um, there's, I'm sure there's just so much uh, wisdom to glean from that. Um, if you if you could kind of give people one key lesson or one key message that, that you think you've learnt along the way. I can see you looking at me like, that's crazy, there's too many. Um, but, you know, if you kind of had your opportunity um, to get in the ear of the average person and say, hey, think about this, or this, this lesson is really one to reflect on, what, what would be one that you'd want to share? Okay, one, as you're saying this right now, I'm thinking um, never underestimate the power of walking in someone else's shoes. It's so easy for us to say, oh, you know, I, I'm, to have that empathy towards somebody. But when you're thinking of a child that's acting up in a classroom and is just sticking his fingers up or he's swearing at the teachers or he's doing these things, asking those questions, what's going on for this little one to be acting in that way? Because it's too easy for us just to be able to react. Um I use that situation because I'm, I'm talking about trauma and children in different ways that, that trauma can come out and, and that, that child can be seen as that bad child. So I guess it's, it's always, for me, it's just being curious, asking the questions. If something is something the way that it is, try and dig a bit deeper to, to give reason to why something could be happening because killing with kindness is so powerful. No matter what you see that's happening, we, we need to keep showing kindness and love and that will eventually break down to the person being able to whether come and, and share their story or, or get help and healing. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Danielle. Um, I'm going to ask you now some questions that aren't on the sheet of paper that I gave you. Um, <sighs> I um, try and get a bit creative with people at the end of these little interviews and because I'm going to go away and write a poem and poetry is about metaphor and imagery and trying to capture things in kind of creative ways, I like to invite the person I'm interviewing to just help me out a little bit. So I'm going to ask you some kind of more abstract questions and I want you just to give me the short gut response oh, that comes to mind. I feel nervous now. I feel very nervous. Okay. And I, right. I may or may not use these things, okay. so there's no, no pressure. <laughs> but... Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, first question. 
want you to just put yourself back in the shoes of seven-year-old. I think it was seven years old when you said you went over to Egypt. Mm. You're, you're looking at the pyramids. What's one word that describes how you felt as you looked at them? Overwhelmed. The sheer size. Yeah. Yeah. If you were um, a, a landscape, if Danielle was a landscape in nature, what would she be? Oh, definitely the water, the beach and the sand. If you were a song or a style of music, what uh, what would you be? I really love hip-hop. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Do you have a favourite album, song, artist? Um, um, a, a, a big mix. Yeah, a big mix. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, if you were a particular time of day, if I was to look at a clock? A time on a clock, not very good early in the morning. Um, probably 10.30 at the beach would be really lovely. Yes. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Uh, and if you could describe Danielle but you only had three words, what would they be? Why you? This is this is really tough. This I is the work separate. of a poet. We've okay, got to take the, the, the big poet. ideas and we've got to crush okay. them into just the fewest words as possible. Um, passionate. I'm very passionate at, at everything that I do. Um, another word would be feel really hungry at the moment because of the challenge but let's not use that word <laughs> although I do love food um so passionate um sincere I like to believe that I'm really sincere in everything that I do um and passionate sincere and um let's just stick with hungry it works on multiple really? levels you're Does hungry it? to see a okay challenge. all right okay. <laughs> yeah, I like with that passion all right thank you for saving me awesome thank you for participating in that little uh, poetic moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally, as we wrap up our time together, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for um, just your authenticity and, and for the work that you do. Keep going. Like we need more people like you. Um, I would love to just throw it to you if you've got any particular resources that you think it's worth people going and, and checking out. Where would you point people towards? Is this, are we talking locally? Uh, anything online, locally. Okay. Yeah, so, books, you know, whatever you kind of think would be a next step for somebody. Well, locally, um, there's a Central Coast for Social Justice Facebook page where it's about engaging people in conversation and, and getting together, doing events. Um, the Refugee Action Coalition is fantastic in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And also CON, who's got the refugee organisation in Melbourne, is really big. Um, with domestic violence, um, they say one in three people are survivors of domestic and family violence. I think it's closer to one in two in our area. The 1-800-RESPECT number is really good. They've got online counsellors. They can also support with accommodation and housing and just information. You don't know what you don't know. And it could be for a friend as well too. Mm. So I think that that's probably the best resources. Um, yes. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank Any final you. thoughts you want to share? Otherwise, my I do. I want to share my fi- my final thoughts is coming into contact with someone like you that can help come and talk and bring people together. And when I hear you talking in front of a thousand students at the entrance, and you're using this poetry, and I'm watching everyone's faces, and it evokes that emotion and that passion within them, and that drive to do something different. I thank you for that. Oh, that's very lovely of you to. Turn it towards me, but this interview is yeah, about okay, you, Danielle. Right. Yeah, so okay. yes, I'll, we'll yeah. see. I'll probably cut that, but thank no, you. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Seven years old. A girl stands before ancient pyramids, overwhelmed. 
a word for that moment, but not her whole life. She is becoming someone who will not stand by. She will not watch from the side. She will walk through dark places, but she will travel with light. Immersed in the thick tangle of fractured humanity, she will hold the hand of trauma. She will lock eyes with regret. And somehow, decades later, after all the injustice she's witnessed, she has not lost hope yet. Every hurting stranger, a friend she's not yet met, she is hungry for change, forces herself to feel hunger again, eating the rations of a refugee to remind herself of shared humanity, and she tells me, never underestimate the power of walking in someone else's shoes. I can tell her toes have curled inside the footwear of the one who's been abused and the one who left the bruise. And the one who travelled oceans with everything to lose. And the one who eats like she is this week when it's not something they can choose. The one she sat in Alice Springs with who ate scones and the tails of kangaroo. The South Sudanese children and their mothers too. I wonder if Danielle was to meet you. If the first thing she would do would be to look at your feet and invite them in to rest. To find home that's what it all comes down to. You can lose it through violent conflict, at the border or in your bedroom. But she is water and she is welcome. She is hospitality embodied. Light on at the front door. You don't have to get up early. Wake with a glorious mid-morning hip-hop beat. Then walk outside to a beach where you can kick those shoes off and feel safe like soft sand beneath feet. She is passionate sincere, hungry, but the seven-year-old girl is no longer overwhelmed.